So before we start, just as we were singing that song, as, as we were singing those words, it's like that, I'm going to spoil the ending today. Like that is where I want us to get this morning. Like this is like the big point that I want like us to just try to like wrap our minds around. His, his power and glory forevermore we proclaim. Christ is the Lord. I, I, as we were singing, it's like that is exactly like the end of this morning. That is where I want us to be in, in, in our worship and our rejoicing. So there's the conclusion as the intro. But um, well, let's go ahead and pray, and then we're going to jump right in. Father, we praise you for Jesus. We praise you that we have such a glorious and amazing reason to sing and rejoice. It's like this time of year. Thank you that Jesus was the Messiah, the one that was promised all through Scripture. That you sent him to be everything that we could not be. Father, we thank you for Jesus. Cause us to rejoice. Cause us to just praise you through this all, through all of this. Father, I don't know what you have in store. I don't know exactly what you want to do, Father. I just pray that, that all of this be for your glory, that you do with it whatever you want for the, for the sake of your name, for the sake of your glory. Father, cause us to see your truth, your truth in Scripture. Cause us to love it and praise you because of it. Father, just do a work in us through your word. Let it be that scalpel that we talked about last week that, that we would just continue to, to love you more as we experience you in your word. I pray that you would do that this morning, that, that you would just build each one of us that you would shape each one of us, that you would work in each one of us to, to better praise you, to better give you the glory that you are due. We love you. We thank you for Jesus. It's in his name. Amen. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to 2 Peter chapter 3. Um, if we are, we're we're going to finish this book today. We're going to be in 14 through 18 specifically. Um, if you've been here the past couple of weeks, um, you, you've seen like this is not like you've been your stereotypical Advent series. It's not, um, we, not, we haven't talked much about shepherds or angels or mangers or all of the, the, the typical things that you would think. We've actually talked a lot more about the second coming of Jesus, how be preparing our, our hearts and, and the types of lives that we are called to live as we anticipate, as we long for and hope in the second coming of Jesus. Because Advent, we said, is this kind of both and. It's looking back to celebrate the birth of Jesus, but also looking forward, looking ahead to the second coming. And so, but I also, I don't want us to be so focused there that we're, that we're not also looking back and celebrating. We're not looking back and praising God for that morning, for that Christmas day when Jesus was born. And what I really want to do, we've said, we've used the word remind a lot over the last three weeks. And this morning, like what I want to remind, I just want us to remind ourselves of Jesus. I, I just want us to be really overwhelmed with Jesus. So if you've not been here the past three weeks, I'm going to try to do a really brief recap uh, we've been walking through all of 2 Peter chapter 3, and we've seen that, that Peter's writing to, to a group of believers, and he's writing to them about some false teachers that have 
that, that will be coming. And he says that they're going to be saying that Jesus is not going to return. They're going to be um, calling into question God's activity in the world and saying that God is not doing anything. God hasn't done anything. So you, you have no hope in a, in a second coming of Jesus. And Peter is very quick to say, like, no, no, no. Like, God has been active all through, like, since creation, through the flood. God has very been, been active in the world. He's, he has not not been faithful. And that we have no ability to question God's timing in anything. That we have no ability to do that. Because God is so outside of time that, that all of this is just pointing towards his gracious patience because he's still saving people. He's still saving people. But that Peter also talks about there's a day coming when Jesus is going to return. He calls it, he says, like a thief in the night. No one knows when this is, but Jesus is going to return. And last week we saw that Peter saying, in the, until that time, we're to live lives of holiness, to live lives of, of honor and godliness. He says, pursue Jesus, pursue telling others about him. And then last week we saw also in verse 13 that he gave us the promise of the new heavens and new earth, which righteousness dwells. From Revelation 21, we, we, we read through that again for like the fifth time. But it, it's awesome. I'm not going to read it today, Nick. I'm sorry. But um, like that is the hope that we kind of ended last week. Like we had this hope for a new heavens and new earth where righteousness dwells. Very brief recap. But if you haven't been here the past three weeks, this whole, all of this morning is really going to be a big recap. So if you missed the last three weeks, you're fine because we're going to do it all again today. But does anyone remember the five-paragraph essays from like fourth, fifth, or sixth grade? Somewhere in there writing five-paragraph essays. You have your introduction. You give your three points. Then you do a paragraph for each point, And then you do a conclusion with all your three points back in there again. Oh, I hated those. But like you, you had to... Re in your conclusion, you, you restated all the main points because people would forget what you said five lines above on your wide-ruled paper. Like, the English tests that were an hour long and you had to write the five-paragraph essay about why you liked Christmas. Like, so I'm not bitter at all. But I, I don't like writing. don't like writing. Um, but, like, that's really what I want to do today. It's kind of treated as that conclusion of like restating everything that we've kind of already said, making sure that we're reminding ourselves of those things, because I think that's what Peter does here. Um, but also, in that conclusion, I want to give the purpose for writing, the, the thesis statement again. Really getting into English stuff here. Like, to give the purpose, the thesis, the reason for writing. So we're going we're gonna to be in 2 Peter th um, 3, 14 through 18 specifically. But uh, it'll be up on the screen, but we're starting in verse 14. Peter says, Therefore, beloved, since you are writing, since you are waiting, sorry, I'm in that English mindset, writing, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace, and count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given to him as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. The, there are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the air of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. So again, like I said, 
did it early on this week, Andy. Um, got got the, the pick out of the way. Um, but hopefully, often during the last couple of weeks, you've heard me say, remind yourself of this. Remind yourself of this. I mean, I've said that tons of times, and if you haven't heard that, you weren't listening or you weren't here, one of the two. But this morning, I've got seven of these. Seven things. Seven. Seven. The seven reminders that the church, I think, would be wise to remind ourselves of. Seven things that, that Peter talks about here that I want to make sure that we don't miss. I'm not going to get very far in before we get to the first one. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, since you are waiting for these, number one, again, this is not stuff we haven't talked about the last three weeks. Remind yourself that Jesus is returning. Remind yourself that Jesus is returning. So what is Peter talking about when he says, wait, you're waiting for these? What kind of things has he been talking about? Kind of, he kind of goes and, and reminds us of what he's talking about. He's talked about that Jesus is coming back, that this day is coming when, when righteousness dwells. He's talked about um, the coming judgment, the fire, the destruction, but all surrounded in Jesus' return. We read Revelation 21. I said I wasn't going to read it again, but he says that in that day, no more, no more tears, no more pain, no more death. It's all, no more sorrow. And like, these are the things that he's talking about, the second coming of Jesus. So he says, since you are waiting for these, that's kind of, everything he says is because you're waiting. He's assuming that we're waiting. We're waiting because you're waiting for these. Do you remind yourself often that Jesus is returning? Hopefully you've heard that a lot over the last couple of weeks. But Jesus is returning. I just wanted to point to two scriptures, one of, where Jesus says this himself and one from the book of Hebrews. But just in case you haven't heard it, like, well, let Jesus tell you here. John 14, 1 through 3. Jesus says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I would go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, and that where I am, you may be also. The writer of Hebrews says that Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to do a sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Jesus is returning. Jesus is coming back. Remind yourself of this. Remind yourself of this. This is the promise we have. It's the date we don't know. We have no idea when. But it's all through Scripture. Jesus is returning. And how might our lives maybe look different if we were constantly reminding ourselves that Jesus is returning? What, how might this help guard us against infatuation with the world, infatuation with stuff, with all these other things? Like, I, I'm lumping myself in with this group, but like, how often do people get caught up in the prosperity of their life, which would, that can look very different for lots of different people, but, but let the prosperity blind us to our great need for Jesus to return? Because 
first century Christians, Paul, Peter, saw their great need, facing persecution, facing potential death, facing all these kinds of things. They saw their need for Jesus to return. But I think we can be in danger of missing the urgency in this. So again, this looks different for each one of us and say like, oh, the, what can blind us from this? What, the, the relative ease of life, whatever that looks like. It looks like, it looks different for each of us. Remind yourself that Jesus is going to return and we need him to. Peter goes on. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish. I'm doing lots of little sections of verses, so I tried to make it easy with which ones I'm talking about. Took a lot of time. But he says, since you are waiting for these, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish. We talked about this last week, right? That up until the time of Jesus, like we're to be living lives, abstaining from sin, lives of godliness, lives of holiness. It's directly in contrast to the people that Paul, or sorry, Peter talked about in chapter 2. We haven't talked much about chapter 2. But in chapter 2, um, speaking of these, these false teachers, speaking of these other people, here's what he says. I think I've got it up there. In chapter 2, it's in verse 13. He says, They count... <laughs> I'm going to lift this up. They count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their deception their blots and blemishes, reveling in their deception. He goes on to say what the things they're doing, they're boastful, they're sexually immoral, they're following worthless idols, they're exploiting people in their greed, they're, they're doing all sorts of stuff, and he says they're blots and blemishes. And he says that you all, as, as you wait for these things, you're to be found without spot or blemish. It's easy to read these verses as pointing towards some sort of justification by our works, that somehow we have to be spotless or blameless in order to be loved and saved by God. It's really easy to, to try to go there with this, but that is not at all what Peter is saying. That's not at all what he's saying, because God chose to save you not because you were spotless or blameless, not because you were not a blot or not a blemish. But even though, even in this security of salvation, even knowing that we are saved, we're still called to abstain from sin. We're still called to live those lives of holiness, of godliness, to grow in Christ-likeness, to that sanctification word we talked about last week, to be made more and more like Jesus. What would it look like for us to continue to remind ourselves of the calling to be holy? Peter, in, in 1 Peter 1 um, or in first, for the first book, First Peter, I think it's in chapter 2, actually. But he says, be holy as God is holy. Reminding ourselves of that calling. What would it look like to continue to remind ourselves that that is our call, to be holy as God is holy? What if we continued to remind ourselves of that? Would, would not maybe our actions, our thoughts, our words, all of that, Reflect that? Do you think that constantly reminding ourselves of the, the call to be holy and 
and praying to God in that moment that that might push us to scripture instead of pornography? Do you think that constantly reminding ourselves of our call to be holy might push us towards the church and when times are difficult and not away from it? Do you think that reminding ourselves of our call to be holy might encourage us to worship a God who is holy instead of worshiping the things of this world that are temporary? Again, like we can't make ourselves holy. We, can't, we cannot do that. We don't hold that power. God is the only one who can sanctify us, who can change our hearts. But we run to him in prayer. We run to him in his word. We run to him in the church as a part of a church, confident that he alone can do it, that he is going to bring it to completion. Philippians 1. That he is going to bring it to completion. But it doesn't diminish our pursuit of this, of being diligent to be found without spot or blemish. Remind yourself that we are called to be holy. But we have spots. We have blemishes. We are basically like those people in 2 Peter 2. Like that's more our story than being holy, right? That is our story, but Jesus, but Jesus, listen to this. Therefore, beloved, since you're waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. And at peace. Where does this peace come from? It comes from understanding grace. Understanding that we are saved not because we're spotless, not because we're blameless, not because we're not blots and blemishes, but because of grace, because of Jesus, because of his work on the cross, we can be forgiven. We can be saved. That is where that peace comes from. Number three, remind yourself of grace. Remind yourself of peace that comes through understanding grace and knowing that we're saved by grace, not because we're becoming good or because we're abstaining from sin or because we're not blots or because of any of that, but grace. Be diligent to be found without spot or blemish, but when you fail, understand grace. Remind yourself of grace. Remind yourself of Jesus. Of all the things we've talked about reminding yourself of, how often do you remind yourself of grace, of what grace is? Purely a gift. Purely something that God has done on his own initiative. Zero, in zero way, earning it. Because what we deserve is death. What we deserve is eternal separation. What we deserve is judgment for our sin. Like the holiness of God, we, we touched on that last week. The holiness of God demands judgment for that sin. And that's still what we deserve. But Jesus, but God in his grace sent Jesus, but God in his grace sent Jesus to live among us. He sent his son into the world to live a perfect life. He sent his son into the world to take the punishment that we deserved 
the wrath that we deserved, the death that we deserved. Jesus took this for us. So that peace, be at peace, knowing that Jesus took every ounce of wrath that you deserved, every ounce of it. There's no more guilt for you. There's no more condemnation for you. There's no more punishment for you because Jesus took it. We have hope that is surrounded solely in who Jesus is. Remind yourself of grace. This is not at all what is so, can be easy to remind ourselves of. It's really easy to remind us ourselves of our sin, of our guilt. Satan's really good about doing that. He's really good about uh, pointing that out, of being that liar and that deceiver that scripture calls him. It's really easy to remind ourselves of our imperfections, our constant sin. But you know, I think that is the beauty of the doctrine of man's depravity, is grace. Is it makes so much of grace, understanding that we could do nothing to save ourselves, nothing. Like that is when grace is made the mu so much of because we understand that there's nothing that we could do. Nothing. So if you are a Christian, be at peace. Be at peace knowing that Jesus took your punishment, every ounce of it. Remind yourself of grace. And count... Sorry, going on to verse 15. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation. Count the patience of the Lord as salvation. Number four, remind yourself of God's patience. Remind yourself of God's patience. It goes back to verse nine, which we talked about two weeks ago. This is the thing was we said, like Jesus has not returned, that God in his patience has not sent Jesus, Jesus to return because there's still people that he is saving. The very fact that Jesus has not returns, that has not returned means that God is still saving people. Remind yourself of God's patience. But if you're saved, I, I want you to think about this. I want you to think about this. That Jesus could have returned a long time ago. That if Paul, if the first century Christians had gotten their way, like, Jesus would have returned a long time ago because they were expecting it to be immediate. They wanted it, return, Lord Jesus. Come soon, Lord Jesus. And God had the power to do that. All that that we've read, that we've read in 2 Peter 3 could have happened a long time ago. But God, in his grace, in his patience has not sent Jesus to return because he's still saving people. And for us, that means us. Like, this could have all ended without us, but God chose to know us. He chose to create us. He chose to save us. Like, do you understand what that means for you individually? God chose to create you, to know you, to save you. His patience means salvation to us. And it means salvation to those that he's still intending to save. It gives us confidence as we share the gospel. It gives us confidence as we continue to preach the name of Jesus, trusting that he is saving people, that he is doing it. That until Jesus returns, God is still saving people. 
remind yourself of God's patience. So he says, count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you, according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction, as they do the other scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the air of lawless people and lose your own stability. So here, Peter's reminding them of something that, that Paul obviously wrote to these people as well. I mean, we don't know what book this was or what letter. Um, it doesn't really narrow it down because Paul talks about the second coming of Jesus and the, the lives that were to live up until that point and basically all, every one of his letters. So, like, no idea. But on like a side note, don't you love that Peter says that some of Paul's stuff is hard to understand? Like, super encouraging, super encouraging that even he was struggling to understand some of this maybe. But I mean, if you, if you don't think about this, if you don't, like just read through verse by verse through Romans or through any of Paul's stuff, really. And there's so much stuff that's been debated about for hundreds of years, thousands of years. It's hard to understand. I, and I really, I think some of this points to the fact that us trying to understand it in our, in our limited, finite minds, we're trying to understand the words of a holy, perfect, infinite God. I think the fact that we can be confused or not understand things really just points to God's holiness. But Peter says, the ignorant, the unstable, they, t- they take these difficult things and they twist them to their own destruction. When I read that, I don't read this as people who are rightly seeking truth, they're rightly seeking the heart of God and are maybe a little confused about some things. That's not what I hear there. It's the people that are taking the difficult things in the scripture and making it say what they want it to say. Not rightly seeking truth, but making it say what they want it to say, twisting it. People still do this all the time, all over the place. You see so many teachings. Like throughout the history of the church, people take a, take a doctrine and do something crazy with it. Like people do this with the, with, the, with the wrath of God, and people do this about verses in the Old Testament to, make, to try to defend God and say that, well, God, that God can't be wrathful. Like our God, like that... They try to interpret that in light of God not being able to be wrathful. Or with the prosperity gospel, you see people say, well, there's no way that the will of God really includes hardship or difficulty or suffering or persecution. Like, God, his will can't include that. And they try to say God's only out to bless us or to give us only, only really good things that we deem as good in our own eyes. But how do we remind ourselves of How do we guard ourselves against this? We remind ourselves of the truth of Scripture. This is number five. We remind ourselves of the truth of Scripture. But all of it, all of it, from the first word to the last word, we remind ourselves of the truth of Scripture. We remind ourselves of God's love. We remind ourselves of God's salvation. We remind ourselves of God's wrath, of God's judgment, of Jesus' coming, of Jesus' ascension, of his death, of his burial, of, of his second coming. All of it, we remind ourselves of it. In, sp- in contrast to the people that he's talking about here, he said, Peter says this to you, to the believers he's writing to. He says, You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, 
Take care that you are not carried away with the air of lawless people and lose your own stability. Again, he says, knowing this beforehand. That we, the very first verse he talked about in this chapter, he said, I'm stirring up your mind by way of reminder. It's stuff you already know. Reminding them of stuff they already know. He says, you therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand. How do we guard ourselves against the things that he's talking about, being carried away with the air of lawless people? We remind ourselves of the truth of Scripture. We read it, we study it, we memorize it, we hear it preached, we, we talk about it, we pray about it. We allow it to shape us. We allow it to be that scalpel that we talked about last week. It to change us, not us to change it, but it, it to change us. And the thing is, like, that can't be, it's a personal thing, but it can't be a thing we do alone. That is a huge role of the local church, is doing this together, teaching truth, challenging one another, rebuking one another, teaching one another. We do that together as the church. But remind yourself of the truth of Scripture. Remind yourself of the truth of Scripture. And, but instead, again, of being carried away, like, Paul, like Peter's saying, he says, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Instead of being carried away into air, grow in the knowledge and grace of Jesus. Number six, remind yourself of who Jesus is. Remind yourself of who Jesus is. Like, this is huge. This is, every ounce of like what we celebrate at Christmas is wrapped up in who Jesus is. Uh, it's wrapped up into who Jesus was, who he is, and who he always will be. It's not just wrapped up in Jesus as a baby. But Christmas is wrapped up into who Jesus is. As we've talked to the girls a lot about what Christmas is, about the meaning of Christmas, we said it's, Christmas is the time of celebrating Jesus. Specifically his birth, but we're celebrating Jesus. But again, it's all wrapped up into who Jesus is. Because any holiday, take any holiday, like, Martin Luther King Day. Like, that day is only important because of who Martin Luther King was, what he did. Columbus Day. It's important because of what he did. There, it was funny. I was um, sitting on the couch last night trying to think. I remember always getting out of this holiday, in, like, all through elementary school, all through high school, called Kashmir Pulaski Day. Probably, you guys probably don't have any idea what it is. We got that out every year. Nobody ever knew what it was for. We just knew we got out of school. I didn't remember the name of it. Last night I was texting one of my friends uh, saying, what was that one day that we always got out of school that was some like European dude? Like, that's seriously what I sent him. And luckily he's a history major and he said, Kashmir Pulaski Day. Fun fact, he's the one that taught Americans how to ride horses during the Revolutionary War to better fight the British. Polish guy. Um, I didn't know that till last night. So I, I learned now. Illinois only gets it out. Um, where I was in high school in Illinois, we only get that day off because of the Polish population in Chicago. Fun fact. You learned something new this morning. But it wasn't important to us. It, like, we know we got out of school, but there was no way to celebrate that day. There was no way to even look back and remember what he had done because none of us even knew. Like the celebration of Christmas, of any holiday, 
is only important because of who we're celebrating, of why we're celebrating. We're celebrating Jesus. Christmas, we're celebrating Jesus. This Jesus that we're celebrating, I'm going to fly through some verses. They'll be on the screen. You can try to turn there. I'm not going to give you time. Jesus was eternal with the Father. It's John 1.1. Speaking of Jesus, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus. Jesus has always been Jesus, and Jesus has always been God. Colossians 1.16 says, For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. All things have been created through Jesus and for Jesus. Every prophecy in the Old Testament that was pointing forward to a Savior, pointing forward towards the coming Messiah, I mean, starting in Genesis 3 all the way through the Old Testament, it was talking about Jesus. It was all about Jesus. Isaiah 7.14 says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Humbled, born as a child, Jesus came. Luke 2.7 says, And Mary gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. The Savior, the one that had always existed, had always been God, who all things were created through and for, humbled himself, being born as a baby in a stable, in a manger. No grand entrance into the world whatsoever. And again, of Jesus. Listen to Philippians 2. It says, Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Christmas time, we celebrate this Jesus. The Jesus that has always been Jesus, the Jesus that, that is Jesus and will always be, who humbled himself, became like us, to save us, to bring God glory. This, listen to this quote by Paul Tripp. I know some of you already saw it. I posted it yesterday. But he says, so here's what the Christmas story is all about. A willing Savior is born to rescue unwilling people from themselves because there is no other way. Christmas is about this unwilling this willing Savior coming to save unwilling people. He did this to secure salvation for us in a way we could never do, by taking a punishment that we could never take. Christmas is about who Jesus is, celebrating Jesus. And Peter says, To him be the glory of both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. To him, to Jesus, be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen.
To him be the glory. That Jesus that we just talked about, because of who he is, because of what he has done, because of who he is, is worthy of praise. Number seven is remind yourself of the glory of Jesus. Remind yourself of the glory of Jesus. I'm going to go. I'm going to read Philippians two again. I'm just going to read the whole. The whole I'm going to finish off what I read, but I'm going to go back a little bit. Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I was going to read all of Revelation 5, and I, I was like, I, take a while. Like, Jesus is worthy of our praise. He's worthy because he died to secure a, God's kingdom. He died to ransom us. He died to save people. He was the lamb that was slain who was worthy to open the scroll in Revelation 5. Just go back and read Revelation 5. The one who walked this earth with, in perfection with no sin, yet took every ounce of our punishment for our sin, not for his sin, but for our sin. He's the one who rose from the grave, conquering death, conquering sin, ascended to heaven, and will return again in glory as conquering king. He did everything that we could not. That is who Jesus is. Jesus is worthy of glory. God highly exalted him bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. This week as I was working on this, I, I could not get the lyrics of a song, worthy, is, worthy of your name. Could not get it out of my head. I mean, it was just like over and over and over again. And so what I'm going to do, you guys can go ahead and come up, the band can. They're going to play the song, Worthy of Your Name. I, I really want to encourage you during this song to just listen to the words of this song. Listen to the words being sung to Jesus. Listen to the description of who Jesus is. My author, my maker, my ransom, my savior, my refuge, my hiding place, my helper, my healer, my blessed redeemer, my answer, my saving grace my hope, my strength, my anchor. Jesus, you are worthy. You are worthy of your name. Jesus, no other name. Just listen to these words being sung to Jesus. If you, if you feel led to stand and sing, by all means, I don't want to hinder you from doing that. But listen to these words. Listen to these words. Just listen to these words. That's why we celebrate Christmas. Like Jesus is worthy of his name. 
We celebrate the King who is coming back. We celebrate Jesus humbling himself, becoming like us, taking our punishment, our sin. We celebrate the King who is worthy. Like that is Christmas. That is what we're celebrating. We celebrate, going back to the song of song, we celebrate the King who is coming back for his bride. During this Christmas time, let's celebrate Jesus. Let's continue singing. Let's continue worshiping. Like, because of Jesus, we can come to the altar. That's what we're going to sing next. So come to the altar. That's only because of Jesus. Only hope. Let's pray. Father God, we praise you. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you that somehow you saw fit to send Jesus to save us, that Jesus took every ounce of punishment that we deserved. Father, that is worthy of praise. That is worthy of glory. Father, I just pray that in our hearts that you just overwhelm us with this, that you overwhelm us with how worthy Jesus is. That during this time of of Christmas, that we not get so sidetracked with the things of the world, that we not get sidetracked with busyness or, or presence or just everything that the world would have. But Father, that we be overwhelmed with you, that we be overwhelmed with Jesus and the reason why we're celebrating. Father, don't don't let us escape this. Overwhelm us with this. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for who you are. Father, just take all the glory. Take every ounce of it. Father, we praise you. Thank you for Jesus. In his name, amen.